Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. The Around the NFL podcast will also answer to Mr. Unlimited. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis coming to you from a virtual room filled with Heroes, Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, week three preview time, boys. What's happening? I feel like we're settling in. You know, it was a shock to the system initially, and now we're settling in. Three weeks in. You know, you can already look at a couple teams and say, I am not um, scheduling you for a postseason berth. I like to get rid of some teams early, and Mm. I already have a few on my radar. Stick a fork in them. I'm ready to, to, to fork some teams. You hear... Every year, the stat, if you start 0-3, you're pretty much cooked. Now, that is not across the board, but that is certainly something that portends to doom. If you can't get that first W within the first three games, we have a bunch of 0-2 teams. So this is, I wish Chris Wessling was here, but this is what we often talk about as the caged animal game or the cornered animal game. Ooh, uh, and there are right. a bunch of them because there are teams that know full well the pressure and what they'll put themselves, the position they'll put themselves in. If they can't figure out a way to get to 1-2 and two through three weeks, so we're going to uh, break down all those games. Uh, and it's going to be fun. And by the way, Mark, this time, about 10 days from now, a quarter of the regular season will be over. So think about that already. It's, honestly, I, I think part of this thing about being home the way that we are nonstop, it just feels like it's suddenly always um, we're suddenly doing the show. And then the rest of the week races by. Maybe this is the only thing of importance that I have in my life. Maybe that's what I'm learning. But um, <laughs> we're here again. Hope your kids don't and, listen uh, to this. <laughs> Is the door closed? Well, they're not listening to this. They're not listening to anything I'm saying. So the theme um, there is consistent. (laughs) All right. So you know the theme of our Thursday shows. Uh, We have a draft where we pick each of the games. And it just so happens that the old Zeuser is picking first. And it is the no-brainer 
of no-brainers to get us going here. It is Monday Night Football. It is the Ravens. It is the Chiefs. And my goodness, this feels like, and it doesn't take a football genius, and I'm not one, to guess (laughs) that this could be an AFC game, a championship game preview and how exciting it must be for the Monday Night Football booth. Wow, Bob, uh, Greasy in a big spot there. Uh, Riddick. I mean, <laughs> everyone guy. has got to be on their top game because this is excellent. And, you know, you look at what the Ravens have done the first two weeks. They've been dominant. I had to bump them up to number one on my power rankings this week because they're clicking in all cylinders. And the last thing that we were waiting for them to do is look like the Ravens of last year on the ground. And then what do they do against Houston? They run for 153 yards in the fourth quarter to go well over 200. Mm. So you got Lamar Jackson passing better than ever. You have the running game just as dangerous. You have the defense making life hell for the opposition. Uh, I just think the Ravens are the best team in football right now. But the Chiefs, of course, Greg, are the defending Super Bowl champions. And they're also off to a 2-0 start. So uh, make the case why the Chiefs can win this game. Well, because it's Patrick Mahomes and because it feels so wrong that everyone is picking the Ravens here, that the Ravens are a significant favorite and that Patrick Mahomes is a significant underdog in any game seems wild. But I'm doing it, too, because I don't. you have to – judge it based on what you've seen and the Ravens are better right now than the Chiefs. You look at the matchup when the Ravens are on offense and the young players that they had. They didn't just come back and be the same. They're better. They're younger. They're faster. Guys like Devin DuVernay is faster. J.K. Dobbins is faster. Miles Boykin is back and he just looks faster to me. And you think of those guys matching up against the Kansas City Chiefs linebackers who so far has have really struggled. I mean, you can't name them. It's, it's Neiman. It's Will Wilson, it's mismatches uh, against the tight ends and the running backs of the Ravens. And I think that this Chiefs defense is going to have a hard time getting stopped. I, you know, I, I would look at Baltimore's defense, too, which, you know, it's going to get overlooked because of all the all the weapons and Lamar Jackson. But two weeks in a row, I mean, you, you watch what the Browns did against the Bengals and you go back to the, the way that Cleveland looked against Baltimore and the way that Houston looked against Baltimore. Baltimore's defense turns the opponent into an identity-free offense. The Houston Texans, to me, did not look like themselves at all because you've got guys like Patrick Queen, the rookie linebacker, making plays. Calais Campbell has been an awesome signing for Baltimore, and Marcus Peters seems to pick the ball off in a big spot week after week. I just think this is a fascinating matchup Mm. to see if the Chiefs can look like the Chiefs against this defense. And you know, boys, that I am the owner of the Kicker Club. Uh, which is a place where all kickers could come in and gather and dance uh, to some hot club music and get bottle service. And not only is this the the matchup of arguably the two best teams in football, it's the two best kickers Mm. in football. Justin Tucker is off to another indestructible start for the Ravens. He might go down as the greatest kicker of all time. But what Harrison Butker did on Sunday, put the whole league on notice that he is right there in that conversation. And, And, you know, I kid about the kickers, but it is a reminder how great these teams are at all three levels and how they and the Chiefs you know they didn't play great against the Chargers but it was interesting to me to see how uh, this defense and special teams was able to pick up Patrick Mahomes it's not just a bunch of satellites around Mahomes and I know their defense might not be an all-time defense but it it is a reminder that they can really win a lot of different ways they just it's not just Mahomes Mm. and Prey. 
Not against the Ravens, though. You got to score points. They're they're relying a little too much on Bucker. They are not the same Chiefs offense so far. It's two weeks. It is nothing to worry about. But Patrick Mahomes has completed one pass that went over twenty yards in the air the entire season. I mean, that is not Patrick Mahomes. He he has less twenty yard completions this season. That includes runs after catch than Jeff Jeff Driscoll. So. I, I'm not that worried about them, but early in the season, and this was similar to when they played uh, last, the Chiefs started out, and they looked like the better team, and the Ravens were very lucky to hang with Kansas City last year, also in Week 3. Why, why are we playing in this in Week 3, by the way? Yeah, Let's I'm do with it you later in the season. Yeah, and, and I don't think the Chiefs are ready right now, just like the Ravens weren't quite ready for the Chiefs early last year. I mean, the Chiefs had a couple games last year where they were a little slow out of the gates. Mahomes had 60 yards passing at the half last week. So the idea that they're this invincible spaceship ready to just rip through 16 opponents is not the case. They have to work through a few things themselves. But I kind of, I mean, I, I would rather this be late in the year maybe, but I like seeing this right now just to get a measuring stick for where we are with the AFC because everyone clumps Baltimore and Kansas City together at the top, and they should. I mean, then the fall off is steep after that, but... I'd like to know right away who uh, who's going to take this thing, and I think it's an interesting test for Mahomes. I really do, and mm. I I I mean, I'm just going to sit down on my couch and watch this thing. Shut the doors; no one's allowed in. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's a different structure now with the playoffs, where only the number one seed has a bye. So That's think right. about what Big this game. could mean. The winner of this team, winner of this game, has the tiebreaker head to head, which means whoever loses not only has to finish. Uh, with an equal record, no, they have to finish one game better if they hope to uh, have that number one seed, if it does indeed come down to these two teams. Uh, do we all have the Ravens? Because that would feel like the kiss of death. Yes, we do. All right. Well, congratulations, Chiefs, on a 3-0 and start. Yes. All right. Up next in the draft, Greg Rosenthal. Okay. Surprise pick here. I am going with the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams in Buffalo. Wow. I'm excited about this game. Interesting. Two undefeated teams early. That was like Clean that, like Farrell fourth overall reach by oh. Rosenthal. <laughs> well, you know what? Farrell made a game-winning play last week, right. and uh, I, I, I love the, I love this matchup early um, because I know the Josh Allen believers are going to be out in force. It's a great litmus test. I've been seeing them come after me because I'm kind of, I've been a bit of a doubter over the last few years. Even Mark Sessler is is coming after me. I mean, he <laughs> he puts a tweet what? out. He says oh. it was an ugly Sunday for Josh Allen hater types. He and then talking about Allen, he floats today as a godlike figure from the wilderness and all i want to say to you mark is like why don't you just at me i mean Ooh. if you're gonna well, no, no, say no. it put my name in the tweet just say what i you mean, mean greg mark this says a lot more about greg than it does mark i'm clearly in your head i mean there are people all over the place on josh allen that was not specifically a greg centric uh, missive from me well know. maybe maybe it should have been because i i've i've killed this guy and uh he might be a system qb but you know what? That's okay. Jared Goff's a system QB, too. Like, that's what quarterbacks are. They're in a system. And the way they've built this system around Josh Allen's legs and short passing, which he's undeniably improved. I mean, he's been more accurate. His touch passes have been better. And the players around him are awesome. They're, they're fun to watch. But I do have some doubts, too, that when he plays a better defense, and this Rams defense, I think, counts, um, let's see how they do because uh, he has played the Dolphins and the Jets and some dropped interceptions last week. You know, I'm still, yeah, let me, I'm still let holding me te- on to a little doubt. Yeah, let me tee you up on this, Mark, because Allen is still okay. a bit confounding to me. And I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm holding out and all this, but 
You watch the two games. The numbers are through the roof compared to last year. And you can't take that away from him. He's really producing at a high level. But if you watch these games, he is still Mm. doing the things that killed the team in January that have had doubters like Greg and to a lesser extent myself sitting back a little bit, putting the ball on the ground, throwing balls up for grabs, and he's not been getting busted for it yet. Uh, Will that happen as the competition gets better? And it is better this week. The Rams have come out of the gate very good on defense. Uh, I I kid, Greg. I think it is a good pick because I think it's a great game. Uh, Mark, have you seen that from Allen, some of these mistakes that are hidden a little bit by the stats? I think that's fair because I could I could look at a, a pass last week where he clearly could have had Stefan Diggs for a touchdown and it was overthrown. And you get some of that malarkey downfield a little bit. I would also say that was maybe one of only two or three ill passes he threw all game. There was game. a near pick I mean, six I as think, well, if I recall. I just think yep. that and the it, overall Josh Allen experience it has been improved and it's markedly improved oh, over sure. these two weeks. The production's there. I think that Brian Dayball is someone whose name is going to continue to get magnified as the season goes along. He works really well with Josh Allen and he works really well. And Stefan Diggs is fit in. I mean, there's another world we live in where Stefan Diggs is upset right now and, you know, not making plays. He has fit right into that offense. I think in Cole time. Beasley, John Brown, they've got a good group of wide receivers, a good backfield. So it doesn't have to be all on Josh Allen alone. And on the Rams side of things, here's a great set. We've, we'd speculated, is Sean McVay feeling more free uh, now now that he doesn't have to worry about feeding Todd Gurley? Uh, seven players had rushing attempts in Sunday's win. Oof. So that six different players had at least two catches or more. So the Rams are spreading things out on offense. McVay looks like he's having the time of his life. Jared Goff looks comfortable again. (laughs) Uh, How much of this, Greg, goes back to the offensive line seeming to be getting back on track? Rob Havenstein, the right tackle, has gone from one of the best in the league to a disaster last year because he was banged up to now he looks great again. And that makes a huge difference. And they have a system where they rely on guys to make plays after the catch. They can get rid of the ball quickly. Cup is playing awesome. Woods is playing awesome. Higby is playing awesome. And that's why I picked the Rams this week because I think the Bills' defense has had some concerning elements over the first two weeks. Levi Wallace at cornerback's really struggling. Their linebackers are a little banged up. They haven't quite been the Bills' defense that we expect. So I expect this game to come down to the end, but I kind of like the Rams offense putting up a lot of points. I'm with you, Greg. I think the Rams, like watching their game last week and reflecting on the Cowboys game too, are playing really um, like top seven in the league football right now. And I mean, you're a little banged up at running back. Daryl Henderson probably will get a lot of work. But to your point, Dan, I mean, Higby, who really was not a part of the equation a couple years back when they were so centered and funneled around Gurley, is a huge part of the offense now. I think that this is like Rams 2.0 and McVay probably was driven. He heard everyone saying he's not the little boy genius anymore. Well, look at he's reorganized the entire attack. (laughs) They're fun to watch. And I mean, they put it on the Eagles. I know the Eagles we, are having their woo. issues, but the Rams are for real. We saw Sean McVay. He, he made it be known that he's been working hard in the gym in that Hard Knocks premiere. He doesn't want to be seen as a boy anymore. He's a man. He's not a boy. <laughs> All right. Mark, you're up next. I'm up next, and I, I love what's happened here in the draft so far. You guys took the obvious uh, picks there. At least Dan did. I'm going one out of the blue. Las Vegas Raiders at New England Patriots. This game to me, you know, you look at you look at the slate every once in a while and you say this sticks out to me. 
The Raiders were fascinating on Monday Night Football. And, you know, John Gruden, who I basically dismissed a couple of years ago, is doing a good job. Can you imagine if you're John Gruden and in the course of a week you knock out Sean Payton and now have a chance to take out Bill Belichick? That's telling everyone, Woo! put me back up there on top of that mountain. I'm not a has-been hanging out in the desert. The Raiders are built around some really interesting star players. And Darren Waller, who was incredible on Monday night, and Josh Jacobs, who I think is as fun to watch right now as any running back in the league. Uh, he has completely grown as a running back in terms of his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I think this Raiders offensive line, which is a little banged up, incognito out of the mix now too, that's a little bit of a concern against the Patriots team that is well coached as any sports team in all of sports right now. And I, mm. I, I'm telling you, the idea of seeing Cam Newton go up against the Raiders, I like this game, guys. Wow. Giving Belichick uh, love even over the, the Tampa Bay Lightning coaching staff right now is, is a big They're call. Doing excellent I, work I, over there. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. Belichick and Gruden have always had a, a mutual appreciation society. And I think the way they're running their offenses says a lot about where the NFL is in 2020. I think the Raiders and the Patriots offenses are built specifically to go up against these dime defenses like the Patriots have. I think the Raiders are perfectly positioned to grind defenses, which count on these cornerbacks into dust. You mentioned Josh Jacobs. Uh, they also have a great group of tight ends, including you know Fabian Moreau and Jason Witten's in there blocking, and they are a power team. And I think the Patriots built their offense in a way to go up against these nickel and dime lightweight defenses and grind them down. So I think it's a mismatch this week. When, when both offenses have the ball, they're bigger, they're stronger, and I think they're going to have successful long drives. It's one of those games I don't expect a lot of possessions, and I don't expect a lot of stops by either defense. You know, I thought it was maybe the kiss of death for your fantasy team if you're uh if you own Darren Waller in your leagues when Bill Belichick started this week off by saying you know it's been a long time since there's been a guy in the league like <laughs> Darren Waller so now you think about it okay so it's definitely on Belichick's radar that the Raiders offense is running through Waller and you get a feeling that he's going to go out of his way to try to shut down Waller and see if Derek Carr and company can make things happen without uh, that dynamic tight end. Because Waller was so important. And I know he's a little banged up this week, too. He's on the injury report with a knee. So you wonder how that factor in, factors in. But, you know, he is he was so important every time. Derek Carr needed some needed somebody. You need to pick up whether it was ten yards or three yards or fifteen yards. Waller was the guy, and that's mm. why he only had 103 receiving yards on 12 catches. But it felt like he had 300 yards because every time they needed a play and to move the sticks, there he was. Yeah, I mean, the Saints had no answer for him. I would also watch, I think Brian Edwards is an interesting rookie at wide receiver, too. And, I mean, they need some of their young wideouts to, to make a contribution for Derek Carr, who I think, you know, they had three sacks in the first quarter. And some one of those was definitely on car, just holding on to the ball too long, too. I, I To me, I, I cannot wait to see what Josh McDaniels does, though. I think Josh McDaniels, because he's been in New England forever and had Tom Brady, you know, it's like, yeah, we get that he's good. But, I mean, to come and create this entire offense around Cam Newton and, and trust Cam Newton on the ground, but also to throw the ball the way he has been and have Julian Edelman play the way he has last week. Julian Edelman, that was the best game of his entire career, and it looked like it. I just, I just To me, this Patriots team, you can point it to all the weaknesses is, but I don't really care about that with New England. They find a way to get it done no matter who's you on could, the field. Holly Hobby could, could trust, run for 160 You could trust yards. Josh McDaniels uh, with Cam Newton, but just don't trust him with a handshake. That's all. That's important. Well, well that's a fair that point, Dan. To mean? Please. I mean, that's the okay, Colts. McDaniels, let's 
let's give them some credit and um, you know, exactly you know they're they, I know what it means. They're scheming up some plays, I think, because they don't really have a ton of athleticism. Uh, but let's give most of the credit to Cam Newton. I mean, give me a break. This guy, it's not like it's the old Cam Newton. This is better. I mean, he's throwing the ball better. And it was one performance he in is. terms of how he was throwing it. But that was as accurate down the field consistently as he's ever been in his entire career. So whatever the reason for that is, and the the pass protection has been awesome, and so that's part of it. If he throws like this, I mean, it it is outrageous that he's on the Patriots right now. They didn't want him. No one wanted him. I mean, they're paying him less than Brian Hoyer. He was a free agent for three months, and he's out playing and throwing the ball like he's never done it. And with the threat of the run, that's going to change defenses. I'm so impressed. I think it's one of the biggest developments of this young season, how how good Cam Newton looks. It's outrageous. You're, you're mad, Dan, because you said the Patriots weren't special anymore. <laughs> Cam Newton's special. He can make them. He special. does look special. I mean, one and one is not that special, so let's calm down. But I, you know what? The Patriots have been blessed with more than their share of luck over the last 20 years, and this is more of it. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason. You're right. There's no reason he should be on the Patriots playing for $1 million. But when this is you've your been, corner. When you've been just, touched just a little by, bit of like excellent preparation, though, Dan. It's not when you've all been touched luck. by the hand of God. Nothing but luck. When you, you're touched by the hand of God, the way the Patriots have been. I don't know what they did to deserve this, but good for them. Uh, and Cam Newton, who does look truly excellent. All right, Mark, it snakes to you. I'm going to go somewhere a little weird here. Um, I don't think maybe this is where you guys would go with this pick, but I'm going to go Bengals at Eagles. Uh, and mm. it really starts for me for one reason, Joe Burrow. Well, there's two things. Number one, Joe Burrow, I really cannot – I want to track every one of his games. I think this is one of the – you talk about Cam Newton being a big story in New England, and it is. But Joe Burrow raising uh, the Bengals out of – you know, they were basically sleeping uh, six feet under the past couple of years, past couple of decades. And Joe <laughs> Burrow comes in, and he's sort of a transformative guy under center that can make you think entirely different about this team, about Zach Jackson, Jack Taylor at head coach. So I like the situation, but the flip side of it is the Eagles um, – in a place of immense chaos. You're 0-2. Your sound operators are unfurling boos at Carson Wentz's interception <laughs> in the end zone in your home stadium. No other team is thinking that way right now. No one's dealing with that. So I think this is an interesting situation where if you're an Eagles fan, you're thinking the way that I was as a Browns fan a week ago, Joe Burrow could come in and completely cause and spin total madness inside your organization. Can the Eagles hold off Cincinnati? The Eagles offense, to me, has looked formless identityless. I cannot figure out what they're trying to do at this point. Carson Wentz looks a little bit lost. I I think he has a reason to feel lost with what they put on paper so far. Um, well, they're twi- they're 29th in yards per play. They're they're 32nd in turnovers. They're 31st in in yards per time. I mean, they're they're a disaster and they're losing Jalen Rager who looked pretty good in the first few weeks and Peterson uh, Doug Peterson, their coach, you know, got mad at a reporter a little bit this week who said, "Have you ever played quarterback? Um, these these throws he's missing aren't layups." Well, I mean, he some of them are over the middle of the field. This was a great interception by the Rams uh, last week that turned the game around. Um, but he also Carson Wentz missed the third and five early in the game where Zach Ertz is wide open and it goes 15 feet over his head. 
Hey. And those are the type of throws that you're just like, what? what is happening here? Uh, and the, the drive st- stops because of that. And this is a great matchup for him to turn it around. But he's feeling it. There are reports in Philadelphia how his teammates aren't really trying to console him. I mean, it, it's getting ugly early, but the Bengals are Oof. slump busters. They were slump a slump buster for uh, Baker Mayfield. I think they can be for Carson Wentz. I, I'm hoping that that reporter shot back at Doug Peterson. Have you ever filed a gamer on deadline for the early edition? <laughs> Because <laughs> it is That's actually the right comeback. Pretty scary. It's pretty uh, yeah, Wentz was a mess last week, and I was so surprised by it. And by and you look at this game, and it does feel like a perfect get right game. But I was shaken by that week two performance, and and mm. the Rams obviously are a good team, uh, but his inability Wentz to get things going and get in a groove. Uh, he's been when he's been healthy. He's been just such a consistent player. The fact that he has not been that guy for them when they need it—that's uh, that's a problem. And I think everyone's excited to see Joe, Joe Burrow back on the field. He's quickly becoming appointment television for football fans, and it will be ten days between mm-hmm. games. So we see what what he does. I mean, can you imagine what happens? And I don't think the players can hear those piped-in boos on TV, but can you imagine what would happen if Cincinnati went into Philly and dropped the Eagles to 0-3? I almost want to lock up the Eagles, but again, you just can't trust them based on what you've seen. No, I, the one, I trust I'm them with here. you. I, I, I tr- I, the one thing that to me is another X factor is, you know, we all watched A.J. Green uh, look like A.J. Green 14 years from now on uh, Thursday last Thursday night. So, this is a key centerpiece of their passing game. If he's not going to be who we expected him to be, that is a um, ugly development for the Bengals. Well, for AJ Green, he has basically missed a year and a half. He missed all of training camp. He's someone who's hurt throughout August. So I'm going to give him a little, you know, a wider berth to get into form. But I do think we need to calm down a little on Burrow because he's very exciting, and I think he's playing really well and he's promising. But their passing attack's bad. I mean, the Bengals' offense is bad. He's he's last in the league in yards per attempt by a lot. I mean, he's deep into the Gabbard zone. There There is no one even close to him to his 5.2 yards per attempt. So they're very condensed. They're limited. They have a bad offensive line. He can look good despite the surroundings, but they, they are not an effective offense right now. Uh, but I just think people watching can see some flaws in the overall scheme, but Absolutely. you're not looking at Burrow and saying he doesn't see the field or he's not making the throws. You can see everything there that you see in other quarterbacks that bloom in to something great. Yeah, so I think the excitement is complete legit. You don't want to be that guy and be like, oh, get your head out of the numbers, nerd. He passes the eye test, but he does. I mean, if you're watching the games, you see the plays that it's all there for him. Uh, and you know, it's the, one of the craziest stats. And Greg, that wasn't a shot across your bow. Don't worry. I know you watch it I mean, in I all it. different ways. Greg's getting a lot of subtweet action here in this, S- this show. He had 61 attempts Burrow against the Browns and didn't throw an interception for a rookie making a second start. That is remarkable. Anyway, might say more about the Browns, Mark. Oh, well, it might. Of subtweets. There, there's something else to look at there, but I like Burrow. Greg, you're up. All right. I will take the primetime game Saints and Packers on Sunday night. Good one for Alan. Oh, Christmas. yes. And yeah. it is time now for Road to Victory. Presented by the United States Marine Corps. Oh, what a perfect game. Makes me even more excited. You're going to New Orleans. You can't have the fun that you normally have. It's all business, and you can put a big-time NFC rival 
the Saints uh, into into a big hurt. I know they're not 0-2, the Saints, but it feels like it. feels like this is almost a cornered animal game uh, for the Saints because you look at the, the two quarterbacks, and Breeze is trying to figure out what plays work. Sean Payton's trying to figure out what plays work for him. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers in as good a sync as we've seen. I, I think of an image at the end of last week's game where you just saw Rodgers and LaFleur, and Rodgers puts his arm around LaFleur, kind of like LaFleur's the little brother, and he's like, you know what, buddy? You're doing pretty well now. I do respect you, Matt LaFleur. Mm, you're you're like getting that. guys open. <laughs> you're, having, uh, you're having the running backs uh, in the Pass, you know, in the passing game, it's really good. I love, I love the sync that they have. It's so different than uh, the storyline we came into a year ago. Greg, that is I'm not that people. is not a detail that you pick up on the condensed game watch. That's a guy that watched, no. you know, the entire broadcast. <laughs> I, I'm That's definitely funny. one of the people that put Green Bay into the soft 13-3 and three category that um, so annoyed not only Dan, our host, I believe, but um, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers and others, and maybe it was a little disrespectful. This team, though, is what I think of when I think of a 13-3 and three team. This is a much better Packers team than a year ago on offense, and I think when you're getting this MVP-level version of Aaron Rodgers, it makes Aaron Jones in the running game so much more dangerous, and we saw he had 200 total plus total yards last week, Aaron Jones, and it's a whole another dimension, and I can't believe that it was a month ago that we were basically writing Aaron Rodgers' eulogy, and now it's being written for Drew Brees, and the idea that we're watching this Saints team potentially fade in two straight Monday, or two straight primetime games, I'm just not mm. ready to write off Breeze yet. I see what you're seeing. I see the arm strength not you know diminishing to some degree. But you don't think Sean Payton is in the lab cooking up a little surprise here, saying I'm not going to go out like this, not well, quite yet. I I'm with you, Mark. And interesting stat that f- popped up this week that and Wes has been beating the drum on this that Drew Brees, Drew Brees can't. Uh, beat teams downfield. Uh, his arm has become a liability to the point where the offense is, is being hurt by it. But if you look back at over the last three or four years when Breeze was still manning an elite offense and they were scoring a ton of points, he was near the bottom of the league every year in the average air yards per attempt stat that I like to throw around for Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, so they, he does, he's, he hasn't been a mad bomber for years now and it's worked. So, I'd be more concerned by what we saw on Monday night with his loss of accuracy, which could be a simple mechanical flaw or just a bad night, uh, to, to, to start to pick up whether or not he's truly in a deep decline. Because saying he doesn't beat teams downfield with throws, he hasn't been doing that for a long time. It was his unbreeze an interception that you've seen. That was just one of the worst picks he's thrown in years. If he's not accurate, who is he? I mean, that, that's right, what he needs that. Absolutely. Yeah. brings to you. He needs it, and but he needs a good running game, and I think he's going to get it this week. I mean, that's the thing. I think you can minimize the pain of uh, Drew Brees by just handing the ball off to Alvin Kamara. It is a perfect matchup. Mike Pettin's defenses are allergic to stopping the run. I mean, they, they've never done it. They, they love giving up big games. Even this year, like they, they got six defensive backs on the field. They're just inviting you to run all over them, and Kamara looks back to his like little Wayne, I, I'm a freak. There's no running back like me uh, in the entire NFL mode that he was in for the first two years of the league. So I think he has a big night. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And and keep an eye on what's going on with Devontae Adams and his health. He exited um, week two with the hamstring. <clears throat> I saw it again in uh, the week two win for the Packers. 
there are yards being left on the field by these non Devonte Adams pass catchers. As much as we want to pump up the Alan Lazards and the MVSs of the world, uh, they're going to need to be better if Adams is compromised or not around for the Packers. Okay, I'm up snaking to me in a big spot. All right, let's start here. Speaking of cornered animal game, the Houston Texans have to go up to Heinz oh, yeah. Field now to face the the Steelers, and this has been the unholy terror trio of the NFL to start the season for the Texans. Oh, my goodness. Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers on the road, one, two, three, and you got to win one of these games to really be a player. And I, I listen, this Bill O'Brien Texans team doesn't have a good vibe around it right now, but this is also right around the time when you write off a Texans team and then they deliver a big performance and they get themselves – back upright and then they win a few games in a row and then all of a sudden like you forgot oh wait remember when they were on the brink so I feel actually good despite what we've seen on the field that Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson are going to come to play up in Pittsburgh but that I don't know if that's going to be enough uh, Mark because the Steelers look as good as anybody in the league just about through two weeks and they're in their building and a defense that's been given everyone fits is going to probably do a good job, you'd think, against the Texans offense that has not figured out where they are post-DeAndre Hopkins yet. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could you could make a case and say, we don't know who Houston is right now because they've played the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. What it tells me is this is a playoff team of old, um, potentially still, but one that is not at the upper echelons of the AFC. And if I count on one thing in this game, it's Pittsburgh's pass rush. It's T.J. Watt. And I, I, I don't know if you're Houston, how you counteract that. When I look at this offensive roster, who is extremely special outside of Deshaun Watson? What does he have around him that if you're, if you're Pittsburgh's defensive coordinator, you are absolutely being kept up at night? I'm not trying to harp on DeAndre Hopkins being sent away, but the, but the wide receivers who are adequate um, are not making a difference, not in these two games. This is another team that I thought was rendered rather uh, you know, formless over the last two weeks. I'm trying to figure out who the Texans are right now. Right, they're they're searching. Because you know what they don't have is Deshaun Watson running the ball either. His rushing yards have gone down each year. Remember his rookie year where the offense is kind of built around his athleticism? That's not there right now. I think their offensive talent's fine, except for the line. But we just saw it. You just warmed up against a Chiefs defense that loves to blitz, and you didn't really protect them. Uh, then you play the Ravens, who love to blitz. How about we play the best pass rushing team in the league on the right side it's tj watt he is the best pass rusher in the nfl right now and he's mostly going to be lining up against titus howard one of those draft picks for the texans who it looks like they've missed on and they need to hit their draft picks because they don't have any draft picks so when they miss it it really hurts double and on the steelers side of things you know their offense is very turned into a pick your poison situation With Chase Claypool, he had the 84-yard touchdown in Week 2. He's made himself an instant difference maker on this offense. And when you add him with Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner and Ben Roethlisberger, who has not missed the beat in his return uh, to action, this offense is extremely difficult to deal with. So the Houston Texans defense, which is also not being uh, doing the job to start, it just, as much as, again, to circle back, not to belabor the point, this feels like such a spot where a Bill O'Brien team gets right. But th- nothing feels right about the Texans in this matchup. And that's why I still think the Steelers are going to win and the Texans mm-hmm. will be 0-3. Yeah, I mean, I do think Bill O'Brien has um, probably 
some concerns about what is exactly happening in the NFL schedule making office. Who did he offend to get this um, <laughs> scenario out of the gate? But still, I mean, if you are the team that people thought you were, you need to take one of these three games. And I, for me, Pittsburgh, they're just getting, they, they seem to be growing each week. And you look at, like mm. you mentioned, Chase Claypool. And to me, Big Ben, like when his, if, if you had got Big Ben with 80% of the arm, big problems. That's not happening. This team is kind of stacked on both sides of the ball right now. They, they are. They, they still struggle to beat Jeff Driscoll. It should be pointed out that Driscoll had uh, the Broncos in the red zone with a chance to win the game right at the end, and they, they came up short. So they haven't been perfect, but it's great to win games if you're the Steelers with a chance to get better. Their offensive line looks like it'll be a little healthier this week, and I, I feel fine about it. And that's why uh, I am locking this team up for the Ooh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Feel very confident. You know, sometimes when a team shows you they're bad, like the Texans, you just got to believe them after a couple weeks. I believe them. All right. That's fair. All right. It's snakes to the old Zeuser. And that's why I will move to the 4 p.m. slate and check in on the Cowboys at the Seahawks. Okay. First of all, what a great value add in the draft here. This late in the draft. What a steal. Yeah. Uh, the Cowboys nice. coming off that 40-39 win where still you come out of that game, these guys got a ton of problems, uh, but also fluky, ultimately. The four fumbles in the first quarter, I believe it was, uh, against the Falcons, that's not typically going to happen. So even though there are blemishes with the Cowboys overall and you worry about their defense, especially going on the road against Russell Wilson in God mode right now, Mr. Unlimited truly has been that so far this season. Um, You also wonder that a 40-39 kind of like, all-time Cowboys regular season win, if that inspires, uh, gets the juices flown, and they go to uh, Seattle and really put up a, a big fight. So if you, this is what this game comes down to for me. There are a lot of people, and I was a little bit on the fence, but probably more on the side of the fence of the Cowboys are good this year. The Cowboys are a 10, 11, maybe 12-win team. Uh, then you think there's no reason they shouldn't be able to go up to Seattle and hang with the Seahawks for all their greatness at quarterback and their ability to score points themselves and what they did uh, against New England with the big goal line stop at the end. This isn't an un- unbeatable team. So I think the Cowboys are hanging in this game, but the Seattle, I understand that they're the favorite. I just have concerns mm. about the fact that, you know, if you're the Cowboys, you were flamed by Jared Goff. You were flamed by Matt Ryan. I mean, and now you've got a the Cowboys are a good team. I agree with you, Dan. The, the Seahawks are a special team. There's something going on there that just um, it has me feeling something that I'm going to be locking up Seattle in this game. All right, Woo! because I'm two and zero in the locks. It's about to get to three and zero. The the special sauce in Seattle is Jamal Adams on defense. Two games in a row, all over the place. They don't have pass rush. He created against Cam. Remember him dragging Cam down. He was all over Newton in, in, in various ways, and I cannot wait to see what he does against He had a little bit of trouble in pass Dak coverage, Preston. but we don't have to worry about that, I guess. I'm just saying he could do a lot of things. Just, uh, I don't want to hear about how you know, safeties don't matter anymore. He matters, and you've got to <laughs> deal with him all game long. And you know, Dak Prescott coming off maybe one of the best games he's ever had. This matchup of Jamal Adams and Dak Prescott Sign me up. 
Well, I mean, the, the Seahawks defense can't stop anyone, though. I, I love this matchup because I'm with Dan. That I think it's going to be in the mid 30s. I think it's going to look like Falcons Cowboys a week ago. Uh, a week ago, where it comes down to the end because both teams are great offensively, and the Seahawks have no pass rush. The Seahawks have uh, really nothing that can stop you uh, on defense. If if you look at what DK Metcalf has done though, the first couple weeks to me that's a big time development. The route he ran against Stephon Gilmore. The fact that he really won that matchup against Gilmore, I believe Tyler Lockett's a true number one, and Metcalf is a true number one in a in a much different sort of way. And so they're unstoppable right now. And the Cowboys are so banged up. They're banged up in the secondary. They, they have as many starters injured, really, as any team in the league. I believe in the Cowboys to put up 35 and Dak to look great and to entertain us. But I think the Seahawks, weirdly, are better positioned right now to, to win a shootout. Yeah, and I think, to your point, the DK Metcalf performance, I think, and sometimes it works out this way, that it happens in primetime where, you know, there's millions and millions of people watching it. I think he announced himself as a star in that game. We knew he was a promising rookie last year who got better as the year went along. But once you start giving Stefan Gilmore the business in primetime, you're basically putting it on notice that you are going to be one of the top guys and you could be an all pro level talent. So they are I would set say- up at wide receiver. Right. They're also, I mean, Chris Carson has been helpful in the past game, too. I mean, Russell Wilson had seven touchdowns before he had seven incompletions. I don't know how else to describe a quarterback <laughs> who good. is in sync at the moment. <laughs> Greg, you're up next. All right. Let's go down to Atlanta. This is absolutely uh, a cornered animal game. The 0-2 Falcons against the 2-0 and Bears. The, the two quarterbacks that the Falcons have faced on defense have turned out to be the offensive player of the week in the NFC. So if that happens a third time and Mitchell Trubisky is the offensive player of the week, I don't know if Dan Quinn gets a fourth crack at it. And uh, for his sake, I, I hope it doesn't happen. And his best route to win is just to ride the arm of Matty Ice. Matt Ryan is playing about as well as you possibly can uh, for an 0-2 team. And the offensive line in Atlanta has also played really well. I think that's been a big change for them. They've put a lot of resources into it. And for the most part, they've protected him well. Now they got to go up against Khalil Mack. Robert Quinn looked really good. Akeem Hicks. When those three guys are together for Chicago, you know, they're they're cooking with gas. So this is a big-time matchup for the Falcons' offensive line. But I trust Matty Ice right now uh, really against anyone. Yeah, we write all Calvin these different— Ridley is playing. Go yeah, ahead, we Dan. write all these columns in, over the summer in our writing duties for the dot-com. One of them was the Superstar Club. I had Calvin Ridley in there, and I'm feeling really good about that through two weeks. He was— he was very good for them the last couple of years, but there's something different in what's going on with him right now where you get the feeling this could be one of those 1,400 double-digit touchdown seasons that are shaping up right now. I just got to wonder, you got to wonder in some of these NFL teams, what is happening inside the locker room? Because the Cowboys last week, you got the Falcons offense playing as well as it ever has. The Cowboys had a 2% chance to win the game at one point last week. And the Falcons defense allowed Dak Prescott and Dallas to score on seven of their last eight drives. I mean, now I don't, I'm not saying Chicago can do that. And I'm not sure they have the guys, but I would just go three wide all day long and forget about the fact that Trubisky had about 30 yards passing in the second half last week and two interceptions. (laughs) Wipe it out. You're playing a team that just invites you into the end zone March after March. All right, so here, here's my thought on this game. I think the Bears are a very bad 2-0 team. I think they've been – they stole week one from the Lions with one good quarter of offensive football. They got off to a nice start against the Giants. 
but the Giants were essentially, you know, just mortified uh, after Saquon Barkley went down. So I can't put a team in shock uh, beating that Giants team. I can't give them too much credit for that either. So I think the Bears are well overdue for a loss. I also think... Even though it's a couple weeks later than we expected, you're going to start hearing about Nick Foles soon as the guy that needs to enter the picture at quarterback. And uh, with the cornered animal game factored in for the Falcons. Yeah, it's a cornered Uh Falcon. Who wants to corner a Falcon? See what happens. I'm locking it up for the Atlanta Falcons to get a W and bring the Bears down to earth because that is not an undefeated team. And I don't imagine it will last much longer. We keep rolling. Mark Sessler. All right. Um, another game I don't peg you guys as um, you know heat seeking uh, in terms of your draft picks. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one. Cleveland, Washington. <laughs> um, not a big surprise. Uh, I want to. There's some things I want to see though, and it, I really uh, you know for the for the positive aspects that the offense produced in Cleveland last Thursday night. Um, I thought Baker Mayfield probably played with more confidence um, and more organization than we've seen in a long, long time, probably all of last season. Uh, can you continue with that? Can the running game where, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are both have major roles? That was not the case last year. Hunt was, you know, dabbled in towards the end of the season after his suspension. These guys both are accounting for 100-plus yards a game if you set them up for that. Can Washington stop the run? Cleveland's defense, uh, Miles Garrett has a great chance here to have an impact game. Washington's line, Garen Christian at left tackle, Wes Martin at left guard have been a disaster. Brandon Scherf, your rock at right guard, is out of the lineup. So Haskins, who has seven sacks in the first two weeks and a lot of pressure, this is an offense that put up one drive last week of more than 20 yards. And, you know, you get 45, 50 minutes into the game. They only had one drive over 50. So the offense has issues. Cleveland really, uh, you know, I know, I understand they're still figuring themselves out a little bit on defense. Um, they're getting healthier. They've got some guys back in the secondary. There's really no excuse to lose this one. I mean, Cleveland, you'd like to see them, um, pick up where they left off and control both sides. Right. This is such a perfect matchup for the Browns. I mean, they get the Bengals and the football team, uh, back-to-back weeks for a Browns defense. It's kind of been a mess so far. They're a little healthier now in the secondary, so, so that should help them out. But they're they're playing a team that's in the third week of their preseason. That's Washington. I mean, they, they're, they're not ready. They're sort of remedial. And they're playing uh, a defense that's good rushing the passer, but I don't think the Browns need to rush the passer. I mean, you should just hand the ball off to Nick Chubb and hunt the whole game. Uh, Washington has not been very good stopping the run so far. And that's kind of what I you would hope if you're a Browns fan that Kevin Stefanski brings. Just sort of let's not beat ourselves. And to me, that's the only way you're going to lose to Washington is if you beat yourself. I think we all got excited week one when Washington had the eight sacks of Carson Wentz. And you said, oh, there's a path here. Uh, to winning some games and hanging around in the NFC East. Maybe that's still the case, and I think it's a good test of the Cleveland offensive line and Baker to make the right decisions when he is dropping back to pass. But, yeah, like it seems like it's perfectly set up that if Stefanski uh, does the right thing, that you don't put this on Baker Mayfield and you you lean on this running game that was so dominant uh, in Week 2. I just, you know, Washington comes off that performance in Week 1 and then they're down 20 to nothing at halftime. And it almost was like, okay, this is really might be closer to who they are uh, than the yeah, team that so. scared people in week one. I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, ha- this, this is a classic what could go wrong after everything we've just said. I, you know, I'm, you have me slightly concerned, but <laughs> the script um, is positive. 
All right, uh, let's uh, keep moving, Mark. You are up again on the snake. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Tampa Bay, Denver, and I, I get that the, um, the the wattage is low on the Broncos side right now, but watching that Bucks game during the week. I'm just seeing a team that uh, I, I understand that there have been some chemistry issues early on, and Tom Brady dropping some f bombs um, on the sideline last week after a, a fumble by Ronald Jones. And well, you don't, you know, he's not someone that dips into blue language too often. I don't imagine. Seems like a pretty does, well-behaved isn't he, does individual. It, doesn't he go like "Let's effing go"? Wasn't that like the whole thing? He screamed to people. He at does a lot actually. Well, I think so. During these games, it, it just showed me that if he's been doing that before, we're not getting a less fired up version of Brady. He was no, he animated. Cares. He was animated, and he cleaned up some. The chemistry with Mike Evans in that last game was they were on point. I just see an offense that's going to drop forty on the reg, like over and over down the stretch. This team to me is just beginning on the reg, Greg. They're just beginning <laughs> to show what they are. I don't like their backfield situation at all, but I mean, to me, the Bucks are going to be the story of November and December. Wait, you said mm. you think the Bucks Mate, are going to be dropping 40 on the reg? Uh, 40 points on offense. For real. Book it I, week see, after I don't week. know. Yes, I I don't, do. I'm not seeing that through two weeks. Look That's at the points they left on the table last week, and they did well, the week Well, Arians was fired up about that. something Yes, I think Arians went out of his way to say that the they had seven drops worth 125 yards, uh, which is a weird stat mm. to like roll out to the press. But Arians is a different type of dude. So he's in his mind. And I guess to Mark Sessler's mind, Tom Brady should be coming off a 400 yard game with four touchdowns. Maybe that is the case. Maybe it is. Right. But he was playing the Panthers. He had absolute like literally zero pass rush against him the entire game. So you better deliver in that game. Uh, this will be different because the fighting Fangio's. You know, what they do is they lose close games. They lose close games against good teams. And their defense plays better than you think. For, for all the love we gave the Steelers, that game was eminently winnable uh, for Denver. And I tell you what, I don't know if he could do it two straight weeks. And the, the Todd Bowles defense will send a lot of crazy blitzes at him. And that worked somewhat last week in Pittsburgh. Uh-oh, here it comes. Jeff Driscoll played great. There it is. Jeff Driscoll, he made plays. I'm just, if there you just watch that game... And you said luck was going to give you that, Drew, Lu- Drew Locke, rather, you would have taken it. I mean, Jeff Driscoll made a lot of big-time plays in that game because he's got big-time players. K.J. Hamler out there for his first game and Ju- Jerry Judy together. Those two guys, that, what a combination of route runners. And Bruce Arian said Noah Fant may be the best tight end in the league right now. I'm, I'm buying. I'm buying uh, that in terms the of best. the – I mean, I'm not going to put him ahead of Kittle and Kelsey, so that's too far. But in terms of a, a receiving threat, he's right there. He's that's right a big there. leap. He can be right he there was, with those guys. Fan was like a, a drop machine during parts of last year, so that he's made a big leap into year two. I think Jerry Judy, I love to see that, you know, it's not the way they wanted to happen, but with Cortland Sutton out of the picture, Judy is going to be a primary part of this offense. We've all talked about it. The dude looks like a star. So, I mean, you know, it's not lights out on Denver entirely, you know, especially with Greg falling in love with their backup quarterback. I'm to not this degree, falling in know? love. I'm just basing it on that one game. Uh, the, the, the history tells us Driscoll will not keep it up. Uh, he is somewhat entertaining to watch, but he played a pretty good game against Pittsburgh. I mean, if we're gonna give if we're gonna give Daniel Jones credit for moving the ball up and down the field and <laughs> coming pretty close, Driscoll did even more. He really did. Uh, the Broncos are in a lot of trouble. A lot. Yeah. Sad. 
Cortland Sutton is is a killer, but they they do have oh. a lot of guys. Melvin Gordon looks pretty good. This is a tough matchup. I think the Bucks are going to win games because of their defense. I'm not with Mark. I'm not convinced their offense um, is ready yet. Eventually they will be. They should get Chris Godwin back, which helps a lot. Would you say that they would score 25 on the reg, Greg? 23 on the reg? Like where are they on the reg? 27 on the reg. 26 on the reg. Yeah. Where are they on the? So they're going to get worse. They're going to get Chris Godwin back and get worse. Okay. They're not playing the Panthers every week. That's the worst defense in the I, league. I, I'm, I'm telling you, and I, I didn't say it was right now. I said in November, they would be the story of November okay. and December. Check okay. back with me in two months, gentlemen. Okay. All right, Greg. I'll buy it. Uh, you're up, I believe. Is that correct? All right. I, I need a, a late afternoon game, and I'm going to take one. I'm, I'm truly intrigued by the Lions heading to Arizona. Okay. The Lions need this one bad. Good value. They're 0-2. I said last week was a huge game for Matt Patricia. I mean, now you're at the point if if you lose this game and you're zero and three, and and you head into the bye week, which is only in a couple weeks, and they haven't won a game, he he might not get to close out the season, Matt Patricia. And and I'm not that surprised that his defense is not playing well. They're banged up and they never play well. I, I am a little surprised that Matthew Stafford and the Lions' offense has been very meh. I think Stafford's been a little worse even than his conventional stats say. They get Kenny Galladay back this week. I'm not ready to crown this Cardinals defense just because they slowed down uh, Washington. So this should be an opportunity for Matthew Stafford and Galladay in that backfield to put up some more points because we expected a lot out of this offense. They've they've been pretty average so far through two weeks. They have been. I mean, I I feel like we just haven't really had a chance to see what Daryl Beverell and the Lions wanted to do with this offense yet. I mean, you know, three three or four weeks ago, no one was saying Adrian Peterson would be in the backfield. Well, because Galladay's not been on the field. I mean, Adrian Peterson has had to come in for what has been a really disappointing performance so far from DeAndre Swift. I mean, forget just the week one stuff. He just hasn't been the guy on the ground, they thought, either. So either that happens or it doesn't. But it's it, I'm with you that it's been a very disappointing start for an offense that a lot of people talked about as being potentially high-powered a month ago. The Cardinals are a tough matchup for them as well, especially with Kyler Murray's never been playing with more confidence at the NFL level than he is right now. And he's, you know, he had two great rushing touchdowns uh, in week two against Washington, again, to bring up Washington, the team everybody was talking about uh, coming out of week one, the damage that they did to Carson Wentz in that Eagles line. Well, Kyler Murray seemed pretty okay back there. And DeAndre Hopkins, again, led the team in targets, catches, yards. Uh, I, this feels like a great spot for the Cardinals to be 3-0 and mm-hmm. and everyone in the league talking about them coming out of Sunday. I don't think these two teams are so far apart. I really don't. I guess I got to see a little bit more out of Arizona. They're, they're, they're two games in, in terms of their opponents. Um, I do think Jeff Okuda, the number three overall draft pick for the Lions, is a guy that they'll probably look to attack. I mean, what, what Aaron Rodgers did to him was unfair. I mean, he just went after him the whole time. And if it wasn't for a couple mistakes by the Packers receivers, it would have been about 180 yards on this one guy. And this is where, like, the lack of a preseason, he reportedly struggled in camp. I think it hurts a guy like that. They have injuries, so they they, they have to play him. Um, and it, it looks like he's just sort of not, does not have the confidence right now to stick with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins or whoever it is that he's matching up against. I don't I don't see how you say that the teams are similar in the sense that for me, if if I'm like a Cardinals fan, 
you know, a year ago, you're wondering, can Cliff Kingsbury, can this thing work? We get that he, what he did in college. Well, it's working. And it's one of the more exciting developments on that side of the ball in the entire league where the Lions feel somewhat lost to me and they have a banged mm. up secondary. It's, it's not a very good secondary. And now you're going to go against a four wide receiver offense that is completely on fire. I, I don't know. I mean, last year, these two teams tied. That was a long time ago. Week one for a <laughs> Kyler Murray offense. Uh, and I don't want to belabor the point because I feel like everyone's kind of on the same page about what's going on at head coach in Detroit. But they've now dropped four straight games where they've had a double-digit lead. That has never happened in the history of football. And they have blown seven wow. seven double-digit leads in eventual losses since last season. If that He's doesn't, defensive coach. If that is not That's, an indictment... Yeah of coaching. I don't know what it is because you look and I'll use the Rams as an example. Sean McVay and the Rams are now 27 and 0 in games in which they've had the lead at halftime. Coaching matters when it comes to closing out games and you see it when a bad coach is involved. I don't know. I don't want to pile on, but it just seems like we're getting close to time. Right. And to your point, Dan, when I got on my little August um, Detroit Lions bandwagon thing with a few other media types. Wait, you're um, off already? You're not sticking with it? You're not sticking with it? No, I I mean, I'm just saying the bandwagon is like basically hit a wall. I'm still sitting in the bandwagon. It's not going anywhere. But I immediately had someone text me and say, bad idea. You don't know what's going on in that locker room and the way they feel about their coach. So I was like, well, you might be wrong about that. And he might have been right. So if you're on the correspondent. Let's pick this game then. So I have the Cardinals. Greg has the Cardinals. Mark, if you are still on the bandwagon, obviously they're not starting 0-3, right? Well, I'm on it because like it it's lacks nobility to jump off it. The bandwagon, I said, has crashed into a wall. I'm not going to like – I've not – didn't like take my <laughs> he mind He said these teams with... weren't even close. I'm saying I think the That's Lions, I... you know, I'm not buying the Cardinals as a heavy favorite out there in the desert. You know, oh, you know I, what I'm here's saying? What I'm I saying. think it'll be a nice close game. Nice we know what you're saying. I am taking the Cardinals um, with eyes oh. open and no concerns. They're well, you're going, off the bandwagon then, sir. Detroit. Yeah, then and you're what? off the bandwagon. You're, you're not on the bandwagon the bandwagon then. You're not allowed. I guess I'm the first person that, you know, made some sort of offseason, you know, got excited about something in the offseason in the NFL that three or four weeks in doesn't look so hot. I Being the only person, I'm going to have to All handle right. that situation in my, the way that I do. Fair point. All right. Uh, let's move on. It's my pick. I will take Titans at Vikings, another wounded, cornered animal in the Vikings and a, a team that is very hard to get behind right now because what have they showed you in the first two weeks that makes you think they're going to turn it around and you can't even say well they're up in they're in their building up there in Minneapolis because there's not 75,000 screaming Midwesterners and 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 everything's so weird we've already seen them get lit up at home in week one against Aaron Rodgers so I feel I still you know, speaking of bandwagons, Mark, I was on the bandwagon of the Vikings this summer, and I said this team had the highest floor of any team in the NFC. I thought, I, and I, I can't get off the bandwagon. But if you, you can't be on the bandwagon, Mark. I guess this is my point. But then also not be on the bandwagon. So that's why I still think the Vikings, in spite of all their problems, have enough to get this thing the ship righted. But the ship doesn't get righted. If you get bombed out again in week three in your building and you head into the mm. quarter pole of the season uh, at uh, a winless mark. So I think the Vikings 
Get right. I'm putting this one on Mike Zimmer. I'm putting it on big Mike's shoulders and saying, hey, get this team coached up. Get this team ready and beat the Titans because it's not going to be an easy one either. This is a tough game, Greg. And once again, Ryan Tannehill, a lot of, a lot of people in the football cognoscente. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gotta said Tannehill it. was one and done. It was not going to be the same guy, but he looked just like the Tannehill of 2019 uh, this past Sunday. Yeah, against the Jags, and, and this is another favorable matchup where I think he'll be protected well. Um, they're a little healthier up front. I, this was the game that I had the hardest time picking for um, in my column this week. Also, it's going to be on game day view. Check that out on NFL Network, Friday night, 8 p.m., DVR it. Uh, and I was thinking the same way as you were, Dan, that's just like, well, this is one of those games that a, a decent enough team, uh, a good coach that has some talent, finds a way to win. And I think the Titans have been a pretty soft 2-0. I think they've played two okay, so-so fair. teams, and, and they've had a, a little bit of luck in both of those games. But you know what? I just couldn't do it because – I don't know that I I just have to trust that the Vikings problems that they've shown are potentially going to continue because they they seem uh just personnel related. Their defensive line other than Ngakwe last week again for a second straight week was was miserable. I don't expect Kirk Cousins to be that bad. Um uh, but the receiver group's pretty rough. And then you have the cornerbacks are struggling. You're having to have the safeties help out the young cornerbacks, so that hurts them in the running game. And then you just start like adding up all these different problems. And uh, I, by the end of the week, and maybe it's because I watched that Vikings Colts game last and, and seeing Kirk Cousins six for 23 for 59 oh yards and three interceptions in the middle of the fourth. I just couldn't pick them. I couldn't do it. Uh, the, the, the Titans are too professional. What they do is they beat bad teams lately and, and they deserve the respect um, of my pick. And that's the highest respect you can really have. I mean, Greg going through a personal crisis over whether or not to pick the Vikings. I see a team in crisis. And, I mean, they to your point, Greg, they have four quarterback hits and two sacks over two games. The defensive line is providing no pressure. I mean, the secondary is getting swallowed up. There's nothing here that Mike Zimmer does well that the Vikings are doing well. I, it's just not matching up. I, I don't... I don't think this is a team that finds its way necessarily. I think they're just probably a six and ten type of team uh, that got a really bad start. And you still got to win six games then at some point. Well, you win six I mean, games at some point. Sure, I, that's what six and ten would indicate. They would have to at some point <laughs> win six games. I hear you, but the Titans. I don't have a problem with the Titans starting a little bit soft and slow because I think they've been they've been figuring themselves out. But they've come out of these games, and I like Tannehill to me. The one thing that he has is this, like, to- he completely invites guys right into the pocket to destroy him as he's unfurling like a perfect pass downfield. Four touchdowns last yeah. week, one of the prettiest games we've seen from a quarterback. And I think people were saying you're not going to get the same statistical outlier version of Ryan Tannehill but he did it last week. So I don't know if this is like Arthur Smith is like the perfect play caller for this team and understands Tannehill or if it says a lot about the Dolphins where he was before or a little bit of all of it together. I think that Tannehill is a tougher dude than perhaps we give him credit for. But also you take a few more shots like Josh Allen gave him on that beautiful touchdown throw to Adam Hunt- Humphreys. He's going to be visiting the uh, the clavicle surgery doctor soon. I mean, he's getting walloped. <laughs> in the pocket the first two weeks, and that is a recipe for disaster uh, for Mr. Tannehill, no matter how tough he is. Um, 
Okay, snakes to me. All right, I'm going to give you guys a break here. Speaking of bandwagons that are doomed, the New York Jets hopped on that bandwagon in about 1987. And, How's that uh, going for you? I would say it's not going that well. It's, it's, a, it's a trail of tears. <laughs> um, Jets at Colts. Uh, beautiful game for the Colts. Awesome setup for them. At home against what's been the worst team in football. Uh, for the first two weeks of the season and a, a team in the Jets that, uh, on top of all their other issues, can't stay healthy. So you take a team that had a suspect roster entering week one and then you strip away multiple players from it, whether it be due to injury or even COVID-19 opt-outs with C.J. Mosley. And what you have is a, a total disaster at the Hindenburg level. So Brashad Perryman is doubtful to play. Um uh, excuse me, uh, Bashad Perryman is, I don't know what his status is, but he's got an ankle issue, likely not to, likely, likely not playing. Uh, Crowder, uh, he is their best wide receiver. He's doubtful to play with an ankle. Denzel Mims, parts unknown with a hamstring injury. Here are the three wide receivers scheduled to line up for Sam Darnold on Sunday. Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios, Josh Malone, who's been on the practice squad the last three weeks. No chance. I mean, the Colts should walk to win. This game should be uh, done by halftime. And if it's not, the Colts have done something very wrong. Greg, you watched that Mm -hmm. Vikings-Colts game. I mean, Indianapolis controlling the ball for like 38 minutes. Uh, That was a statement game to me. You don't hear, you know, good times are bad. The players seem to line up for Frank Reich. And one thing that concerns me a little bit, I mean, a lot of things concern me about the Jets. I mean, yes, you you did a great great job. Mekki Becton has been awesome at tackle. I mean, that's been a bright spot for them. But then you've got guys you brought. He's been, he, he, like, they needed that to work. Talk about, like, no, Mekki Becton. Mekki. Mekki. Mekki Becton. Well, you know, there we go. First name. Uh, not first name basis with him at this point, but this this story that came out with like Bradley, Bradley McDougal and Avery Williams from saying that um, you know coming from other teams that practice Jets practice has been um, such such a telling indicator of why they've not shown up on game day and saying that after two games uh, to the press I, I just think that you know come on guys you got to give yourself the best shot here and they just seem disorganized as disorganized as possible on top of the injuries. Yeah, well, the other problem. Gase coaches, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say that Adam Gase comes out on Thursday and says to the media, uh, "We're just looking for warm bodies uh, for wide receiver." I, I don't want my head coach saying that. I mean, that you just right. sound defeated. You sound like a guy that's making excuses. And this comes off a week two performance by Gase, where he just played scared and he coached scared and like he had no interest in really being aggressive and trying to win that game. Uh, I don't think, yeah, everything's pointing to the same direction, which is the gays with the jets have not fired a head coach in season since Lou Holtz, I believe in 1976. I I, I would not be surprised if that streak ends in 2020, because you're going to continue to hear chatter and you're going to continue to see the losses pile up. And the whole thing with Darnold with Adam Gase was, they're tied at the hip. He's supposed to make them better. If Darnold's not showing progress for this season, there's zero reason to keep Gase in the building, even through 16 games. Right. Gase coaches like he thinks his players think. And you know yes. what? You know, in, in that, that, con- that press conference kind of said it. And, like, I get it. Yeah, you've got the Patriots leftovers at receiver with Hogan and Barrett. Like, that's rough. But you can't coach that way. Your team knows you're coaching that way. It's so many throws short of the sticks. 
on third down. He's trying to win with five-yard throws. I actually thought Darnold played a solid game last week. He did. The, the whole question is, how do you evaluate Darnold? Um, stack games like this. If if Darnold keeps playing games like this where you can tell he's better than his surroundings, then, okay, that's a positive. You know, you're making good decisions and you're making the right throws and reads and, and your team is terrible. I thought he played pretty well. You know, Quinn and Williams played well. Makai Becton, they found a left tackle. There's a couple little things here, but otherwise... Man, in both of these games, the 80-yard run by Mostert on the first play and then the way the Bills game started, it felt like over. these games are over in five minutes. So over. just hang around for a quarter. Hang around right. for a quarter. And I think they maybe can. The Colts' offense was not impressive to me um, a week ago. I, they were not really not in sync. Uh, their defense played a- outstanding. And I, I don't know if they're just going to blow out teams the way they play. In two-plus seasons, Sam Darnold has played with 17 different wide receivers. Uh, that have caught at least one pass, 18 different starting offensive linemen, and not a running back who has gained more than 800 yards uh, in 2018 or 2019. It's, mm. it's, well, it's, it's good to get Gore in there. They're kind of building the offense around Gore. I thought Le'Veon Bell was a oh, progress Oh, don't get me started on that. You, <laughs> all you Frank Gore people. Getting a lot of runs. All you Frank Gore people get so quiet once the season starts, once he delivers one of his uh, I thought he had a couple good runs. No, one I mean, of his signature 22 for 63 games. I mean, get we make nice the Michael runs. P. Ryan in there. Get the kid in there. Frank Gore, I don't, with all due respect, Greg, progress stopper. That's what he is at this stage. I mean, he's he's, he's the only one uh, in a Jets uniform that's going to be going to Canton someday. You should appreciate him. <laughs> Greg, you're up. You can't hurt me. Am I now? All right. Um, let's, uh, let's go for uh, what early games are left here on the schedule. Wow, you, oh, there are. There's one. It's 49ers <laughs> and Giants. All right. Um, I'm curious how the Giants come in into this game. You lose Saquon Barkley, and Sterling Shepard, I think, is a bigger loss than people realize. But you are really playing the 49ers B team. And I, I think we almost take for granted Kyle Shanahan that that he's such a good coach that his backups you know, blew out another NFL team. And I know as the Jets, th- this will be a tougher matchup, I think, for the 49ers. Uh, you're not going to have Jimmy G to start the game. Jimmy G played well last week. Jarek McKinnon started at running back. He's looked good, but that's relying a lot on him. George Kittle might be back, but their defensive line in San Francisco, um, man, if you think about the players they lost, Buck, DeForest Buckner is, is gone. D Ford is gone now, you know, maybe for a while, and Nick Bosa is gone for the season. They, are, they don't have the same identity, and, and I think this is a winnable game for the Giants. I, I do not see the 49ers with so many players out um, winning games easily uh, against a competitive NFL team. I think the Giants can be competitive. I really do think they're a little better this year than, than we thought. There are people Even asking... There are people asking if the Giants might find their way on offense... Um, a little bit of a Ewing theory scenario without without Barkley in there. Is that just completely absurd? I mean, yes, when Deion Lewis is your backup, no. and now it's Devonta well, Freeman. They, it's I Freeman. Mean, I mean, we have to see silly. what Devonta Freeman is. I'm not that's like I, I find it absurd because he's a, he's a complete star. But who's I, I, actually I, saying that? That is an, that's a stupid thing to say. I'm just like it's seen tweets about it, and I'm not saying that you know like. PFF's if you're one of those people that. that sent out the tweet, you're a fool. Saquon Barkley is the most talented guy on that team. Give me that Ewing theory stuff. Mark, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I mean, I'm with you. I don't agree with it either, but it does put like extreme pressure on Daniel Jones to uh, 
It does. Step in and remove some of the the fumbles and the gaffes and the turnovers because if you're going to grow into what I mean, I think Daniel Jones can be. You've got to you've got to kill the mistakes. But I don't know. For me, the Niners. This has got to be the most depressing season around um, based on the injuries. I mean, it was with them all through camp. It's now reared its head in terrible ways in the regular season. And, you know, before last year's Super Bowl run, we were asking if Kyle Shanahan on our pod was on the hot seat and if John Lynch was on the hot seat. It was basically because for two straight years prior, they had dealt with nothing but injuries. And, you know, Mm. they're right back there. and 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 you can't ask a team to just overcome this this is the equalizer. Hey, how's Simone doing, Can I by jump the in, way? Though? How's Simone? Oh, yeah, Simone's a big, big Niners fan. Your wife. I mean, you could imagine that on the list of, you know, stressful scenarios here in 2020 with kids home all day long, um, <laughs> the Niners are not something that Simone is overly concerned about. I don't I hear did. a lot of, like, you know, frantic Niners commentary in our kitchen. Can I give her a pep talk, though? Can I give her a pep talk? We did the pep talks on Tuesday. I, I've got one for the 49ers. Okay. Uh, your right. schedule the next three weeks. Three weeks. Giants, Eagles, Dolphins. Oh, okay? come on. So just beat the Jets. Well, get you got to kissed three by God. Two. You can eat... You, you can even lose one of those games, and you get to three and two when when the tough part of your schedule starts. And listen to all the players that should be coming back. I mean, Debo Samuel is coming back. Richard Sherman is coming back. Your two best running backs, Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert, is coming back. D. Ford, you know, we're not really sure. He hasn't helped you out that much. But at this point, they're expecting him to come back. So Jimmy Garoppolo, he's coming back. Get get your guys healthy. Get to three and two. And um, you're fine. I yeah, think you, the 49ers are going to be fine. This is a crisis moment for the 49ers, no doubt. But to get the Jets and the Giants, arguably the two worst teams in the league, back-to-back, and then the Dolphins after that, who aren't that far behind, yeah, you're right. Uh, they could definitely come out of this and kind of get their feet back under them. And real quick on the Giants, yeah, losing Saquon Barkley is nothing short of an organizational disaster for that team. So it kind of takes them out of the mix to be even a compelling, buzzy, wild card team that scores a lot of points and maybe hangs around in a so-so division. I think that's all out the window. That's the level of loss that is. But you could still use this as an important development season for Jones, and he still has weapons out there to put up some points. He's not – like you look at his situation compared to Sam Darnold from earlier, at least he has some pieces, and you could see whether he's developing in year two, and that's so important for this Giants team. I like right. Greg suddenly, you know, offering inspiring speeches about the Niners after he's been burying them and pronouncing them as dead I'm on arrival have an for the last eight or nine I'm weeks they on have our an show. Opportunity to survive this. The, I was impressed. Kyle Shanahan can blow any team out with what he's got going on, and if you can win a couple games, at least you can survive. Oh, it's a wicked All long right. season, so we'll see. That we got one more game on the schedule, if I'm not mistaken, Mark Sessler, and that is, I believe. Carolina, Carolina at Chargers. At the Chargers. Well, where are we right now with uh, the quarterback situation? Because it's – hold on. I've got to, got to get my act together here. Well, yeah, let's touch on that. We have. Let's start here. What happened with Tyrod Taylor? It was a big mystery last week. Uh, he was slated to start. 
He has some type of medical issue involving his chest. He goes to the hospital. Justin Herbert gets his first start, plays well in a loss to the Chiefs. And then it came out, was reported uh, this week that there was some medical uh, failures uh, involving an injection that led to a collapsed lung, which is just how can that happen? And it, and it gives a little bit more uh, um Mark, Greg, you were talking about it earlier this week on the podcast, trying to piece together what what is actually going on with this team and Anthony mm-hmm. Lynn's thought process about saying Tyrod's our starter when he's healthy. Yep. It makes a little more it sense. Completely now. changes that. It completely changes that. And like, and I and I gave the pep talk that Anthony Lynn need to be forward thinking and start Herbert. But we found all this out after it, and I think that it just shows that Anthony Lynn is. Uh, probably someone that's going to protect and care about his players as much as anyone in the league. I would not have wanted to be the team doctor uh, that's already dealt with a lot um, with this team to begin with. They had to walk up to Anthony Lynn, you know, five minutes before kickoff and say, just want to let you know, not quite easy to describe this, but I've just punctured the lung of our starting quarterback with an ill-advised needle um, entry that's, point. That's so, what you get for uh, just... hiring. That's what you get for hiring Dr. Leo Spachemin as your team doctor. Stop. I mean, he's got to show up to work to, you know, every day too. He's still there at work. I, I appreciated Lynn actually saying, you know, you, you know, he didn't appreciate all the piling on on the doctor too. Cause this guy, you know, this is the last thing he wants to do. It was a mistake that happened that is almost unprecedented. Someone found a, a similar situation with Jerome Bettis uh, about a decade ago for a playoff game. Um, but it's going to change Tyrod's career and they, they might get sued the chargers for it. And, you know, the money could be involved, but for now, Justin Herbert steps into an unbelievable matchup for, for his first, uh, start that he knows about going into the the whole week because the Panthers, I have the craziest stat I've seen in this entire NFL season is that the Panthers almost have a Golston through two weeks. That's a that's our old wow. word for not having a QB hit or a sack in a game. They have one QB hit, but the that's not even the craziest stat. The craziest stat is, according to Pro Football Reference, they have a total of three pressures in two games this season. I mean, that's unbe- that is unbelievable. To put it in perspective, that the Steelers have over 70. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's like... This is a great matchup to just run the ball and do whatever you want and, and be hanging out back there and throwing passes. The Panthers' defense is rough right oh now. Oh, my goodness. And now no Christian McCaffrey. He's got a high ankle sprain, and it's a four- to six-week timetable. He says he can accelerate that timetable, but uh, we'll see. Certainly not going to play in this game. I mean, this Matt Rule is in a very, very tough spot to start his career. He is. I would say the couple positives for the Panthers, though. I thought that I think that Robbie Anderson has fit in really well with them. Um, DJ Moore is. They didn't. You know, you're losing Christian McCaffrey. That is an absolute killer. Uh, the you know they talked about the Panthers as a one in fifteen team. I don't think that's who they are, but it it is it is a problem when your first round pick on defense um, has not played well. Kwan Short has not been himself. I mean, their whole crew he hasn't is, played. They need right. Short back. They need like Short they need back. him. They are not right. The same He's still him. iffy, and it's like you their their whole defense is essentially dudes that were in college a year ago. And sometimes that can create these wonderful stories where it's like, wow, it works and we should all do that. It's like, or you get this and they're getting this. And that's um, (laughs) why they're giving up 30 points a week. Yeah, this always felt like when Rule took the job with everything that was going on, a developmental year for them. And uh, so far, it's heading down that road. All right. That's every game that will be played 
Sunday and Monday, including that Monday night football. Ravens, Woo. Chiefs, my goodness, Brian Greasy, be ready. So, all right, Stan has is signing off for Quiet Storm. The old boss, Ricky Hollywood in West Hollywood. Till Sunday. Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.